0: Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it, because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Welcome back to another episode of Brazen Education. On this episode, we're going to talk about Black Excellence. And today with me, I have our guest, Marlon Llewellyn. He is currently the Director of Recruitment and Strategic Partnership for Marion University's Clips Educator College. Marlon, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Shante. Appreciate it.
0: Well, it wasn't very important for me to talk about black excellence, but it was also important for me to have that conversation during black excellence month. Um, If you follow me, you know that I say that black excellence, black history is 365 days a year, 366 days, if it's a leap year. And that is an ongoing conversation. But many times black history becomes kind of like this situation where we just talk about like black trauma and black sadness. Mm -hmm. And I want to focus our conversation on black excellence black achievement and to have this conversation i wanted to bring on someone um, who has exuded black excellence and who is also championing and promoting and trying to get other people to participate in black excellence so marlon how do you define what black excellence is and how do you define that for educators and how do you define that for staff
1: uh, first all, I want to say thank you, Shante, once again for having me. And also thank you to everyone who's listening uh, on this conversation. Uh, you're doing some great work here on the Brazen Education Podcast. So I'm just super excited. So, so what my kids say now, I'm uber excited. So uh, <laughs> uh, I just find when I thought about this, I find black excellence really of around access and opportunity. Uh, I tell my kids this all the time. You get you get two things every morning. You get a choice and a chance, right? And those choices and chances that you get, you have to maximize those choice opportunity, choices and chances that you get. And so when I look at Black excellence, it's all about, for me, access opportunity. Once we have the access, we have to make sure we maximize opportunity. And so uh, I know with Shante, myself, some other leaders I work with, we've been able to just maximize the Opportunity. Once you get the access, maximize the opportunity and put your best foot forward. Uh, there's so many different thoughts around what black excellence is. Right. And I think when I, when I think about me and my role and in and, and my life, it's about maximizing opportunities. And once you get that access, go forward and never give up.
0: So you represent Black Excellence. I know you work at Marion University, and I know one of the things that you were tasked with doing was launching um, their doctoral program for their uh, the Educators College, um, because previously um, you could earn an undergraduate degree and a bachelor's degree. And I know that is not an easy undertaking to not only lead up a program, but to introduce it new um, to a university. But on top of that, you also have some uh, accomplishments out here in the education world. So thinking about yourself and black excellence, what accomplishments are you most uh, proud of when you think about black excellence and yourself?
1: And so what, so anything, any any program you kind of launched and I came in at the forefront of the doctoral program. And so our, 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 I call I call the Jeffs at the university, Jeff Kaufman and and, and Jeff Hannah. They were kind of the brainchild of this uh, doctoral program. I came in to help with recruitment and also to amplify all uh, the program. And so it was a definite a team effort here, Marion, because we'll make sure we can, we'll make sure we can give, ac- give the access to leaders in our state of how to become a great leader through our doctoral program. So I'll make sure I-, I give, give the Jess of Mary University, a, 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 a brazen education shout out, right? They do some amazing work here. I encourage anyone who's thinking about doing a doctoral program, definitely check Mary now. Um, But I think the most thing, the most accomplishment, I think the prize accomplishment for me is uh, just being an amazing husband and a rock star parent, right? I think I've been able to do, I've been married going on 18 years. And I realized, man, that's a long time. But that's black excellence to me as well. I've been married 18 years. I'm raising two amazing, successful young people. So that's some of the accomplishments I'm really proud of uh, on a personal note. Right. Well, on a professional note, just, I've been blessed. Right. I've been blessed on uh, the fact that I've been able to experience everything in the K-12 space. Uh, I was a teacher. I was an instructional coach. I was a dean. I was assistant principal of instruction, assistant principal of culture. I was a principal. Right. I was director, so I was in, I was, I've been able to experience everything uh, instead, instead of uh, everything in the educational space uh, professionally. And even opportunity, I worked in in, in in a private school, public school, charter school, turnaround school, urban school, rural school, uh, traditional school. So those are some of the, uh, I guess, the accomplishments I'm really proud of. One, just making sure I'm taking care of my home and being a great husband and great, a great father, and the second accompl- accomplishment for me is just the opportunity to be successful in all the spaces in K twelve.
0: So, one that how I first learned about you is when you were a principal and the high achievement that your school obtained. Can you talk a little bit about how do um, you push a school? Um, the schools on the east side of Indianapolis, how do you push a school um, where the students are mostly black? How mm-hmm. do you push those students to excellence when those students who were in previous schools may have been given up on and maybe be seen as a lost cause that they couldn't get to a place where they could be at a school that's an, that's rated an A school?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, once again, it came down to people and leaders, right? I was blessed to work for some amazing educators. Right, uh, Patrick Jones, who's now at the Mind Trust, Kelly Marshall, who is my CEO, who's now at the Mind Trust, uh, Erica McGady, who now works for uh, a K-12 organization here in the city, Megan Lewis, who, who, to, in in my eyes, one is one of the best guidance counselors ever. Right, so I was blessed to work with a network at Net, Charles A. Tindley Accelerated Network, who had amazing talent. And so I just came in and followed the system that was put in, put in, place, put in place prior to me getting there, and and followed the system with fidelity. Uh, that network of school, Timely, I think it became a uh, um, a hotbed of talent, right? Because uh, you had to go in, you had to be laser light focused on the plan of action, and the plan of action, and the goal was to get one percent of our kids to college. And so I just came with that mindset to follow the system, add my little pieces to it as well. Right. I'm going to put my little swag to it uh, and making sure that we that we remove ourselves from the equation and focus solely on the on the improvements and the uh, achievements of the young people that we're serving. And so some of the numbers that I, I was able to accomplish as a team there was we had some of the highest uh, proficiency rate. We ain't talking about growth now the highest proficiency rates for African-American boys in the state of Indiana. And that was because of the system that was in place. And we really focused and people say, what's a special sauce uh, during those times at Tenley? uh I would definitely say special sauce was love. High count love, right? So high accountability, high expectations, covered with love. And so we loved our babies. We loved our staff. We want to make sure we put everything in them to make sure they could achieve great things. I think that's what you saw there at Timley during those times.
0: I think a theme I'm hearing from you is that black excellence isn't like an individual sport. It's a collective um, activity because every time I've asked you about black excellence, you're quick to mention how you are working with other people in tandem and in community to make it happen and you already answered the next question i was going to ask you like how did you make this happen because um when you were the leader of the school um you like you said you did have one of the highest achievement for uh black boys and that is a demographic of students who tend to be labeled as uh, students who have difficulty reading, students who have difficulty focusing, students who are more likely to be suspended and expelled. And you're saying, you know, under your leadership with um, this group of uh, talented people that you were able to kind of break these stereotypes and break these kind of assumptions that black boys can't learn. And I think like you mentioned is love, but I think what's also is key, it wasn't just like we loved on our students, you also know that you loved on the staff and yes. the staff is super 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 important when it comes to working well we also know many times when people talk about black excellence you'll hear and i heard it myself as a kid that being a black person you have to work twice as hard to get half as much and so there's that mentality that you have to like be smarter be perfect and work harder and sometimes that can lead us into situations where it's not healthy for us or we stumble into roadblocks trying to be like perfect and the top of our game. So what are some roadblocks that you have come across either with yourself, working with staff, working with students? And then how did you work through those roadblocks? Because I think sometimes people want to achieve excellence, but when the road gets rough, they just want to get off the road. So so what Mm -hmm. barriers have you faced?
1: I think the, the biggest, great question. So I think the biggest barrier I faced was, was myself. I had to get out of my way. What I mean by that is this, and you know this, Dante, like leading anything, especially the black professional, is hard, right? Uh, it's just hard, right? Because people look at you like, man, how's that person having all this success and not knowing that, oh, this person wakes up at 4.15 in the morning, uh, does his prayers, and he's in the office at 5.30, right? It's a, it's a level of um, commitment that you put to that. And so the roadblocks I faced really was roadblocks that I put in front of myself based on my past experiences, right? And so it was a, in that role, it was, a very, it, was a, it was a grown experience for me personally and professionally because I had to learn how to leave all the baggage behind from previous opportunities and previous experiences to focus my attention on what the work was and to work with to make sure black and brown students in my school achieved at the highest level compared to their, their white peers. And so that was a work for me, right? And also I learned how to remove barriers, number one was to focus my energy on the why. We hear it all the time, what's the why, what's the why, right? And so the why for me became the people that I served, right? I knew if I could I knew if I was showing up authentically every day hundred percent as Mr. Llewellyn, the people that I was serving and serve alongside me they showed up as well. And so by removing some of those barriers and roadblocks that we all have right but it takes somebody very special to reflect on that and really understand what the true issue is, I was able to achieve some amazing work amazing things. I won't say me. I'm, I'm big on so not saying me. We were able to achieve some amazing things at Tinley because as a leader, I was able to focus myself on the work and remove myself, my personal views, my personal feelings from the work itself.
0: And I think that's hard because some in education, if you go through any education program, we do a lot of reflection. You know, how do you feel about this? How did this work? What would you do differently? But when we leave the like education space as in us being in the role of the student, sometimes we forget that we still need that reflective piece to like be like, oh, how is this impacting? And, you know, I would definitely agree with you. Like yourself can be like the biggest uh, barrier to getting anything done, especially in this space because um, sometimes things get, tougher for us and you have hard times leaving things behind like you think because something happened at a previous job that's going to happen at this next job and there are totally different people totally different views they wanted you for a particular reason but you're like stuck uh, stuck in your head and so thinking about um, you being a leader what advice do you give when you're working with staff members who find themselves in that situation where you see the potential in them you see them striving for excellence but they are kind of stuck in the mud and can't like get back on track. Like, what do you do? Like, if you were going to give advice uh, to a, another Black leader, like, what would you say to them to help uh, them kind of lift up other Black ex- educators?
1: Uh, I want to just touch. It's hard for us to reflect while we're in the moment, right? Uh, it's hard to reflect while you're in the work. Allow my reflection to occur after I left the role of principal. And I was like, just blown away. Like, wait a minute here. Wow, All right? But it's very difficult to reflect on the work. That's why I told—I I was teasing the superintendent. I think you need. I told the superintendent one day, "Hey, you need to give your principals like uh, mental break days or weeks, All right? For so them to we'll go somewhere secluded and just sit there and just reflect on the work, reflect on the successes, and reflect on the failures." I think that was something that was hard for me to do. Uh, as a leader because I was so stuck in the work and that became the mud, right? High achievement, high accountability. So I couldn't really enjoy and reflect on successes because I was too busy reflecting on the failures while we're in the work. Right? And so it's very hard to uh, detach ourselves from that. And I think uh, that's why I tell a lot of leaders now I work with hey, say, how do you detach yourself from the work so you can truly and honestly reflect on what's going wrong and what's going right. And you'll realize when you take that time away, you'll realize that guess what? You're doing some amazing work. There's a lot things, there's a lot of things that are going right, And there's a lot and less things are going wrong. So just telling the leaders to try to find that time to reflect. And I had an amazing staff, as I shared with you before, I had an amazing guidance counselor, I had amazing APs, I had amazing teachers. And so a lot of our reflections came real time during the observation or during the uh, one-on-one meeting. I had a a culture and environment that thrived on reflection so we can all get better. So I think that's very key for us to try to build things, a place to reflect, uh, decompress, and detach from it. And you'll realize you're doing some amazing work, and the thing that you're struggling with is minor.
0: I liked how you said that we need to reflect on like what's not going well, but what's also going well. Yeah. And I definitely can relate to what you're saying because when I stepped away from my role as middle school academic dean, I kind of had that same aha moment, but it really wasn't me reflecting. It was people saying like, yeah. Shantae, this was great. Or And even a couple of days ago, I'm in oddly enough, this group chat, um, some with people I used to supervise and some with people that worked in the school that I did not supervise. And someone said in the group chat, if you open up a school, we're going to be there. And I was like, really? And then, you know, but to hear someone else talk about, but you did this, and you told us to take care of ourselves, and you told us to do these things, and you supported us this way, and I'm thinking about, but it was a pandemic, and we didn't meet this metric, and we didn't do this. And so it was just really nice and refreshing to have someone bring back to my attention, like, yeah, like. Everything's not going to be perfect all the time, but you did a lot of stuff well, and you need to like sit with that. So when I stepped away from that role, I was really able to sit there and be like, okay, Shantae, you did a little stuff to something that was that was all right. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of put that into work um, um, as uh, you get um, moving forward. And see, have Robin with us. Hey, Robin. Um, she says, it's also important to have a cadre of teachers who will get honest feedback. And I think that is so, so, so um, true. And I think we also have to create the atmosphere where that honest feedback can happen. Because many times we have schools where people really want that honest feedback, but they don't get it. And interestingly enough, over the weekend, I had a teacher um, that I'm working with at a school and she uh, messaged me and said, well, Shantae, all of your feedback was positive. I need some constructive criticism from you. And I was just like, you know, and I would just, I was just so thankful that someone even asked or even pushed for that because sometimes people don't want constructive criticism mm-hmm. or like that type of reflection. And so I actually told her, I will actually go back through some of her work and really look at it at a fine-tuned cone. And I think she's a phenomenal educator, which is why I had the remarks I have, because I also think it's important to help people see what's going well, right? Because I don't always wanna be like, this is bad, this is horrible. So I think that's uh, super, super, super important. So we talked about teachers, we talked about leaders, but what about the kids? If you're a kid and um, I don't know if all of our viewers know, um, you are from Jamaica. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, whether you're from this country, not from this country, Um, Living in a situation where you're in poverty, sometimes kids, especially when they're Black kids, they feel like, I just can't achieve. And there's been a lot of conversation about critical race theory um, that people think we are saying that Black people are victims and we can't do. Mm And um, I want to make it clear, Educator Barnes does not believe that. I know Marlon doesn't believe that. But how do you help kids when they get in this slump and they're like, but I but this, but that, but that. And you can see their potential and you can see their excellence. How do you push them to achieve at that level?
1: Yeah, so, my, so my experience is different, right? So growing up in rural Jamaica, I never, had, it was weird. I tell my kids all the time, I knew I was black, but I didn't know I was black. What I mean by that is this. In our culture, I knew I was Jamaican. It make sense?
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. I was part
1: of a culture, right? I, right. I, I was part I grew up in Clarendon, right? I used to walk barefoot from my from my home to the corner store. Uh we used to play soccer in the soccer field. I was I was Jamaican, right? I, I knew that. And um this whole thing around color, I did I that did not impact me until I came to the United States. Mm. Uh to so I understood what this whole color gap or well, black, white, Hispanic, right? So if I will identify you in our culture, you're gonna be Jamaican, or you're gonna be Chinese, Cuban, right? So it wasn't really a color thing for me growing up until I came to the United States. And my first experience of like like true like racism was when I got to college. Now, I, I don't call it racism, I think I call it, we call it, it's like um, passive aggressive behavior or, Right, it was weird. And my first experience was in college when I met, a, I met a female doing orientation and she was from a small rural town in Indiana. And she looked at me and she was like, we well, was in these groups, i never forget this. And she said, hey, you're the first black guy I ever spoke to. I was like, huh? And when I called my mom, I said, mom, I'm in Indiana. She was like, yeah, baby. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. And so it was, cause my high school was very diverse. We have, I could be eating Jamaican food one day or going next door to my friend's house, eating Cuban cuisine, right? So it was very diverse and those connections came through food, right? And culture. And so when you talk about this black excellence, thing, I just wanna make sure I, 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 I kind of share that context with me because I never experienced some of the things that some kids experience right now. So I look at everybody for who they are, right? Uh, A good friend of mine, uh, he always talks about himself growing up in Nigeria about how Nigeria has, he'll say, oh, like sixty plus languages. So you had to respect everyone for their what language and culture. It was the same thing in growing up in Jamaica. You had to respect people for their language and culture and what they brought to the table. Because if you didn't do that, you create some kind of conflict. We don't want to create conflict. And so this whole thing, even this whole thing of black excellence and. and black history and all those things. I was about my son yesterday, I said, we have black history every day in Jamaica. <laughs> it was like a month, right? <laughs> right. I'm learning about Marcus Garvey, right? Nelson Mandela, right? All these people. And we get a month in, <laughs> in the United States. Right. <laughs> so it it's 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 a culture thing, I believe. I think also it's a it's that culture thing, Shantae, that allows me to connect with young people too. I can look at it from a different lens, right? I know what they're dealing with. I know what I know their anxieties, but I can add more empathy to the conversation and help them to navigate and say, hey, it's all about respect. It's all about love, right? So I think from from that experience of uh, growing up in Jamaica, seeing how things kind of work, I can connect more with young people because I'm bringing the lens of empathy to our conversations.
0: So I hear what you're saying. You're saying that you're telling students not so much to focus on that they are black, but to focus yeah. on these other aspects of themselves, showing respect, showing yes. empathy, focusing yes. on learning. So, yeah. no, I, I thought it was super important. I mean, yeah. I know you, but like I'm talking to you for our viewers. So I wanted to throw that I, out there because
1: I tell kids does- yeah, all the time. Yeah, you black. But now nah, folks in the bag. What's the bag? Right. Taking care of your ba- behavior. Taking care of your uh your social life, your academics, right? Uh taking care of your grades, folks in the bag, right? And you focus in the bag, everything else is gonna work yourself out. But you focus on some of the distractions that are not part of the bag. Right. You you, you get distracted, that makes sense. So
0: Right. You're like yes. you gotta focus on the goal and the task the at hand and not get stuck. It's kind of like what you said almost for adults. Don't get stuck on all the negatives, get stuck mm-hmm. on the positive, get stuck on what you are striving for. So one of the main reasons I have Marlon on the show is that he and I are on a committee. Uh, We're on the Black Excellence in Education Awards Committee. And I've been, I think we both have been award recipients of the award, and now we're on the committee for the award. And um, I think this is year seven, I believe, for our award. Mm -hmm. Um, Year seven for our award. And each year, it's gotten bigger and better and bolder and i think marlon i guess tell us a little bit about i mean i know but tell our readers a little bit about why is this award thing because there are people like why do black educators need their own award what is that business all about so like what is our why
1: and so the, so the why is this so when i first was introduced to the awards um i was a principal attending and I got an email about joining the committee and and nominating people, and I ignored the email, right? I'm like, oh, black awards, I don't know one of these awards things, right? I ignored the email. I I, I put I pressed the busy button. I'm busy. I can't really focus on that right mm. right? And it wasn't until I like transitioned, and I'm like, wait a minute here. We have some issues, right? I, I know. I know a lot of great black educators who are not getting the attention and the affirmation that they that they deserve, right? Mm. And so we're saying that. So we're so the conversation started going to a pipeline. Oh, we need more black educators in the pipeline. We more, need more black leaders, right? I'm like, I'm like, really? These great, amazing black educators and leaders have always been there, but no one took the time. And the effort to say, hey, let's stop for a little bit and focus on identifying and affirming those Black educators now. And so when I joined the awards three years ago, that was the whole premise. We need to slow down to to affirm and recognize all these amazing Black educators in our, in our school district across the state who are doing amazing work. But they're doing that work in a silo, right? And they're doing that work like they're it's kind—it's of, kind of like the find Waldo theme, right? Where's Waldo, right? They're doing it—they're doing it in the corner, and so the awards were, were were created to make sure we can take a time out every year and give opportunity to our school districts across the state who hire who have black talent to take that time to recognize and affirm their black talent in their schools through the Black Essence uh, Awards, and so. From now to the year seven, we have recognized and honored over 400 black educators. Mm. There a lot of people and you're telling me, and now we have this to so say, well, now we're gonna prove the point to you, say, hey, there are great black talent here. We gotta learn how to affirm them, recognize them for number one, and also nurture them in development as well. And so what we do at the, at the awards every year We put those amazing black educators on the highest, highest pedestal we can and say, hey, here's your top math teacher. Here's your top school principal. Right. So we can have a voice and a presence in this educational uh, system.
0: And i think the other thing that's important to note about the black excellence in education awards is that it allows us to connect with other black educators um because in particular in, in annapolis we have 11 different school districts plus charter schools plus private schools mm-hmm. plus you know parochial schools there's a lot of us in different places and i remember the year i won the award i was a librarian and at that time mm-hmm. there were no other black librarians in the district that i worked in I had been been an ENL teacher, only black ENL teacher in the whole entire district. I've been an English teacher for most of my career, and many times I was the only black English teacher in my school building. So to be at an awards program where I'm seeing other people that look like me, I'm like, oh, I can connect because sometimes I'm mostly taught black students, black or Latino students. And so I had a different lens of the type of text I wanted to use, but if all my colleagues are white, and I'm saying, hey, let's read this book. And they're like, well, no, we want to read this. Mm-hmm. I don't have any thought partners or anybody to collaborate uh, with. And I also will say, y'all caught me off guard of the year because I got, they, <laughs> let me tell y'all listeners, they told me I was coming for this little black education at board. So I came, I didn't even, my husband didn't come, my kids didn't come. I just brought my mom and dad. Then I found out I was getting a whole other award uh, for journalism, like a little plaque and I had to come up there. I was like shocked. Cool thing is it was like the last big award that my dad saw me get before he passed away. So that was a great memory. And I had a picture um, taken with my dad, at the awards program. And what, what was weird, my dad seems to know everybody. So mm-hmm. somehow my dad knew the photographer and started talking to him. So I got this really cool picture with my dad that I cherish to this day. But I think the cool thing about it, when I think about that whole experience is this that, you know, I'm like, Oh, like how you reacted when you got the first email about the award. I'm like, Oh, I'm just coming to this awards thing, blah, blah, blah. But then when I'm here with all these people, I'm like, wow, like, and you hear what these other people have done. I'm like, Oh, okay, I am doing something because sometimes you just feel like you're in a silo, like you said. And We are the people that's more likely to quit education. Um, When you look at the data, Black educators are leaving the profession and leaving quickly. We have a question, so I'm going to put this on the screen. This is from Robin Renee. She has a question for us. She says, I'm actually a higher education researcher and my interest is first generation college retention. Can you speak about reimagining college prep for this cohort? And ways in which high schools and colleges can build a stronger bridge. So, Ugh. Marlon, what do you think about this question from our viewer, Robin Renee?
1: That's a that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> um, but I think about how do we reimagine this college prep for this car, for a generous score. I think once I, it's 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 back to why I shared. I think I shared with Shantae around the analogy with the NFL, right? The NFL creates an amazing pipeline because they engage kids to football as early as kindergarten, right? And then when those students become super athletes in high school and college, they have had an experience with the NFL and football because it started so so young. And so, to your question about how we, we like reimagine this for this cohort, that first generation cohort, we have to start early. We have to connect young people early. Um, <clears throat> i know one thing we're doing here at, at Mary we have a partnership with ivy tech which we are creating cadet program teaching cadet programs um in various high schools across the state and we're saying we're going to start early by affirming and recognize those kids as early as like fifth grade that this student can be a great educator so so to your question around how do we reimagine that we have to start the process early it can't be a, it can't be started in high school it definitely even, even at sixth grade, it's, it's a little bit too late. We have to connect those young people, those first generation young people as early as, I'm thinking, third grade, early. So they can start thinking and dreaming about being a college graduate. So that's an amazing question.
0: No, I think that's great because I actually did cadet teaching in high school, Um, Lawrence North High School. And my understanding is they still have that program going on today. But it is, uh, it can be too late. And uh, a suggestion to you, um, Robin Renee, is that when I was a librarian, I did a, a program where I brought third graders down to the library and they read to kindergartners. And the two benefits to this was the kindergartners were getting the opportunity to hear reading and the third graders were able to build up their reading skills. But I, there are like many like little teachers. So they came in, I gave them instructions. They work with the kindergarten student. And because I had a problem of I have all these kindergartners, they have all this energy. So I need like a productive thing. So I think there's little things that we can put in place for elementary up through middle school, then before you get to high school to help with um that kind of interest in college especially when you're first generation uh, for me my mom has a high school diploma my dad has an associate's degree but even with my dad having an associate's degree when it came to applying to a four-year university I was really on my own in figuring that stuff out and so if I didn't have the perseverance to kind of talk to like ask questions I would've just probably got a job to be completely honest. I would've got a job and this kept it moving. And so I think we really do have to have those conversations about what you need to do, um, especially in Indiana, um, the 21st century scholars program. So many people miss out on that for my uh, non Indiana viewers. The 21st century scholars program is a program where you get four years of free college. If you stay in Indiana, if you keep i believe it's a 2.5 gpa mm-hmm. but you have to apply in seventh or eighth grade the only exception is if you're considered a um, homeless student okay. then you're allowed to enroll in high school but a lot of kids by the time they find out about it is ninth grade and they no longer can enroll yeah. and the reason they have you enroll in seventh grade because there's things they want you to commit to they want you to commit to um, making good choices and making good grades because you once you're in high school, you have to keep your GPA up and you also can't get into any type of criminal activity, right? Um, so I think a lot of times we don't do our due diligence. And I like telling kids about because money is a real barrier. And kids don't know that they qualify for free money. Um, that is also a problem. Uh, so Robin, thank you again for the question. I think she has one more comment for us that I'll show um she said i definitely like to see black professors visiting k-12 so that students um see them first generation uh, are intimidated by professors and undergraduate um i will agree because uh sometimes i do teach a course at two at marion (laughs) and i've taught a course at iupui and sometimes they are scared because sometimes i always say a school isn't always a school everywhere so um you may leave high school uh, let's say English and you may not have the same proficiency as another kid who took high school English somewhere else. And so sometimes that is an intimidating, uh, process. So Marley, you mentioned something at the very beginning, when I asked you what you were most proud of, you talked about being a husband, but you also talked about being a father and I follow you online. And I know I'm um, your son Bryce is especially doing some great things. So, thinking about the parent lens how are you like building like not only black excellence but also um, with you being jamaican be like pride in your culture um, because you know you grew up part of your life in jamaica but your kids are here and they still have that jamaican heritage in their bloodline through you so how are you building up that black excellence? what advice could you give to black parents about like how do you like help that excellence grow in your home
1: so as I, as I, I laugh because uh my my kids will say this we they bring the Jamaican out of me when they get me mad <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so even though I don't have an accent right now both they do so that's off the beaten path <laughs> <laughs> it's like straight popcorn. it's like I've been to, I'm in Kingston again with them so I'm, I'm laughing because my daughter would tell me that when we get you mad, you just go, he just flip to be Mr. Jamaican guy. <laughs> Cause uh that was my that was my dad growing up, like <clears throat> and my grandfather. My grandfather, uh, he cut sugarcane, right? And so as a young kid growing up, uh, we knew not to get granddad mad because this man worked his butt off trying to provide for us. Mm-hmm. He's doing one some some a dangerous job as to cutting burned down fields or sugarcane through the for his family and so uh the kids i joke with the kids all the time yeah i, I did pick up a grandfather <laughs> to make sure he take care of stuff um but um there's a book i read um <clears throat> you talking about how keeping black excellence especially like black for parents and students there's a book i read a couple years ago called raising superman i think you might have read the book uh from nathaniel turner yes yeah, we i
0: have about, read that book that,
1: read that book talking about how he raised his uh He took a backward design approach to raise his young, his child, his son, uh, who's now currently, I believe he's at Carnegie Mellon finished up his PhD program, all paid for, but it's just, it's just, it talks about just being more intentional with our young people. Um, And so I kind of mimic allow the, the, the stories and advice that the book kind of laid out for me. as I raised my son uh, and my daughter. And from the culture side of things, prior to COVID, we, we took vacations yearly to Jamaica so they can always stay connected to the culture. Uh, because it's very different when you live in a, uh, a predominantly white suburb, right? in Annapolis, right? You can walk your dog and go to a park, go to a neighborhood pool, right? Walk McDonald's, right? <laughs> it's, it's, some, it's some convenience that you have. And then we went to Jamaica every summer. We're going to our family house and they're seeing like, man, we got this idea was grew up. And then so they appreciate things a little more. And so that's how I keep them connected to the uh, to black excellence in our culture by always visiting. And also majority of my family uh, resides in, in Florida. So always visiting family. Um, I'm the third uh, grandchild of 90. right? So nine grandchildren. Uh, and so those are fun times. Yeah, COVID ruined a lot of those times, but now we use, we will, we'll we connect via Zoom and things in our group and our family chat. And so I connect my kids of black excellence through our culture by showing that, our, so like you mentioned earlier, that you're not a victim, right? Your grandfather works his butt off as a sugar cane field uh, worker bought the bought the bought the adjacent property next to him and vice versa, right? And you built out a culture into built out a family of black excellence in which you have 90 grandchildren, right? And so I just try to keep keep my young people, my children very grounded. And say, look man, you're more than conquerors, right? You're kings and queens. And so if if my grandfather can do that and work that hard, you can do the same thing as well and accomplish your dreams, your goals.
0: Did you say ninety, like nine zero? Nine zero
1: is ninety grandchildren.
0: Wow, that wow! I was 90, like, I think he said ninety. but I, I need to clarify, 90, clarify that. Also, well, I think, go
1: zero. ahead. And my grandma passed away last last year before COVID really hit. My grandma passed away, and uh, and I never get it. And we're all it's all it. We counted, it, it's ninety of us. Ninety grandchildren were on was in front of her casket and they chose me of the 90 to speak as a grand as, as like the representative for the whole 90 as so i'm looking down looking at my grandma's casket looking over the pew looking at the people that packed out her church and there's 90 of us and i'm like man job well done lady right hmm. right i'm like and you start and you start now i'm looking at my i'm seeing my son my i'm looking like man okay guy i know what you're doing All Right? job well done job well done so
0: no that is awesome and i and i think you you touched on a point about like knowing your family history yep. because even though there's trials and tribulations and being black in america um there's always great things i a few years back i learned that um my family on my mom's uh mother's side owned a hotel in mm-hmm. uh mississippi uh back in the day and i'm like owned i was like that's pretty cool and so just to know there's like people in your family that's done great things that have sacrificed and it's like if they can do it like this is you know this is in our blood like this mm-hmm. is what our family does this is this is not something that you have to worry about like you have people in your family that will help you out so i also think it's important to know your history and know your culture because that gives you the confidence to be able to strive for excellence and I also think it's important that we talk about the diaspora and talk about the different culture because like sometimes as an African-American sometimes you feel like you don't know what your culture is you know Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of I mean we have an African-American culture you have stuff like soul food you have things that's considered like black if you're in America Mm -hmm. but I think that cultural piece is super important because knowing who you are um where you come from who's in your family gives you the confidence the confidence to know like i come from greatness so therefore i will go out and be great um so uh marlon can you uh tell us i don't think we told the viewers when is the um black excellence award and then how can people like like who can nominate and how can people nominate people for the Black Excellence in Education Award?
1: So this year, Black Excellence Award will be will be held in conjunction with the uh, Inner Power uh, Conference. Uh, Inner Power is a social uh, social entrepreneurship company that's focused on what we just talked about: Black Excellence in Education, entrepreneurship, tech. And so uh, Emil Ikior, the founder and CEO, uh, we're all a part of this big conference in June. And so the Black Excellence and Educational Awards will be held June 13th. It's a Monday, Monday, June 13th, at Ivy Tech uh, campus downtown by Meridian uh, from 4 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. At this ceremony, we will recognize all our winners this year. They'll be recognized, they'll be invited, and it's a really amazing time. It'll be our first time doing it in person since COVID, we did it virtually for uh, Mm -hmm. two years. And so we're just super excited to get back together and celebrate uh, black excellence uh, together. So, on that day, it'll be a very festive and also very emotional time for a lot of people because it's the first time we all can gather and kid together in one space. And so, uh, June 13th at Ivy Tech. So, the question about how do you nominate uh, nominations will be sent, has been sent out to all our local school districts. And so, if, if you're someone that says, Hey, I had a great uh, experience with a teacher. Uh, or my child had a great experience with a teacher uh, shoot your superintendent an email, shoot your principal an email. Say, hey, this award is happening. I want I want to make sure you nominate Miss Jones for this award. Right. So you can do your part as well by, by encouraging our, our local school districts to nominate a black excellence in education um, teacher.
0: Well, thank you for letting us know about that. So please, 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 if you know a teacher, reach out. And I'm on the committee, and we do our due diligence of sending this to every place. Everybody. So uh, don't let anybody be letting you think that they didn't get it because we sent it. <laughs> so so it's out there. Marla. I'm going to give you the big uh, screen. Um, oh, the big screen. Um,
1: okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and what uh, uh, you made me, you made me <laughs> lose my thoughts. So, this is what happened when you talk to somebody like you know, because then they didn't the get you all party. off the off game. But <laughs> it's okay. So, Martha, <laughs> final thoughts about Black excellence in education and anything that you want to share or promote?
1: But before, I, so thank you. I'm on the big screen now, everybody. Ooh. And so, before, thank you. So, I think. Once again, thank you to the Braves Education Podcast. Uh, I just want to share, uh, as you shared earlier, I'm Director of Recruitment and Strategic Partnerships here at Mary University and the Clips Educators College. So we have two events coming up. Uh, this is a big recruitment cycle for us, and so we have two events. We have our we have our doctoral info session coming up. Uh, that day is March 8th from 6 p.m. Um, to 7 p.m. Everything's virtual, so I encourage everyone to have it. Who have an interest in learning or earning a doctoral degree check out check out the check out Marion. i encourage you to check out the website and also we have for our teachers and our leaders we have our teacher and leadership info session right we have our mat program our tt program and also we have our leadership program as well uh, so in those webinars and info sessions will be wednesday march 9th all the information is on our website Marion Marion m-a-r-i-a-n, M-A-R-I-A-N. Marion.edu so check out out our website. Marion University is a teacher university or an educational prep university. We want to make sure people that are listening to the podcast and across the city know that if you want to be an amazing rock star educator Marion is a place to be so check out those check out our website and lastly I'll be remiss not to once again thank Dr. Barnes for this opportunity but also everyone who's listening. Um, don't give up. Um, as I shared earlier, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And my big giant was my grandfather who who did his hardest to provide for eight children. And so as we stand on these shoulders of giants, stand on these shoulders and these giants, make sure we're doing our part and make sure we're not giving up, make sure we're always pushing forward and make sure we're always leading with black excellence. And so That's all I have, Dr. Barnes. That's all I have for the podcast. And finally, always lead with love. That's it, that's it, that's it, lead with love.
0: And I also can get a recommendation. I did my admin program through Marion University. And what I loved about it was the opportunity to do a lot of self-work and uh, um, self-reflection because um, admin work is people work. Like it's people think if you think it's just like telling people what to do, that is not what leadership is at mm-hmm. all. It's working uh, with people. And also, Marlon always calls me Dr. Barnes because I'm in <laughs> my doctoral program. He's speaking it into existence. It. My goal is to finish um, either at the end of 2023 or the beginning of 2024. Um, so I just wanted to note that. So he speaks that.
1: And he always does that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was well, I don't anymore. want to
0: be out here like, you a doctor, you a you. I ain't
1: speaking to- it into existence. <laughs> like, like I, I I just know you. I've been blessed to know you for the past four years. And I'm like, look, you're, you're do amazing work. And so I want to make sure I always affirm you and celebrate you too. So, Dr. Well, thank Barnes. Thank you
0: so much. Well, guys, thanks for listening. And we will see you on the next episode.
1: Thank you so much.